0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 retrospective podcast, a back of house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organize them. I'm your host, Christian Napier, and now it gives me great pleasure to introduce our guest for this episode, Dan Merkley. Dan, how are you?
1: Great. Thanks, Christian, for doing this. And thanks for the invitation. It's great that we can do it even in this, uh, self-imposed quarantine. Um, it's, uh, it's me- meant a lot to yeah, even reconnect with, uh, anyone, any, anywhere in the world who I might've worked with. Sometimes I just get, uh, uh I see a name flash across my, my screen. And I feel like I, I just want to talk to someone. So your invitation comes at a really great time. And, uh, I'm really keen on, on, uh, recollecting these things. So thanks.
0: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Yes, we're recording this in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, we just had an earthquake here in Salt Lake City a couple of weeks ago. So we're all we're all hunkered down in our respective homes, I suppose. So with that in mind, up until everything fell apart a few <laughs> weeks ago, yeah. What, what have you been up to?
1: Uh, well, and and to be clear, um, though I'm monitoring the situation constantly, uh, I'm still up to it, even though uh, even though things have gone sideways on us. Um, I'm I am partnering and co founding a new brand of event uh, and a race. It's called the Endurance Sports Summit. Um, it's a, basically an industry trade show um, that we're holding at the end of August in Thanksgiving Point in Lehigh. Basically, it brings together um, industry brands and uh, experts from the endurance sport uh, area field uh, to exhibition. We've got uh, some live entertainment and kids' races and demo yards and even a gear swap there. We'll do a speaker symposium and maybe even a small film series and importantly the sister event to that is what i'm really excited about is the called the valkyrie Multisport relay and it's basically a a seven sport uh relay race that is an homage to the back wasatch it begins at the north end of jordanel reservoir with a trail run uh the trail runner uh, with, with teams of seven eight or nine people and the trail runner tags a flatwater paddler in the Jordanell and the flatwater paddler tags a marathon or two half marathon runners who tag a mountain biker at the Euclid mountain bike course who tags a stand up paddle boarder at Deer Creek Reservoir who tags a, an open swimmer who tags a road cyclist and then they and they ride over the Alpine Loop into Lehigh and f- and the finish line is at the Endurance Sports Summit and it's the first uh, multi-sport relay of its kind in the Wasatch area, though there are a couple of similar ones, um, one in Washington State and the other in Van- near on Vancouver Island that I'm aware of and familiar with.
0: Well, that sounds super exciting. If they want to tag someone who's driving a Honda Pilot, I would be happy to participate. But uh, <laughs> you guys with the endurance sports, a I, I, tremendous amount of respect um, for endurance athletes and and all that they do.
1: Well, you know, you could uh, you could use that Honda Pilot as a, as a wingmate, vehicle if you want there's always an opportunity to be support for a team so we've we've shaped it so that uh weekend recreationalists can get involved too so
0: oh fantastic it
1: doesn't have doesn't have to be ultras for everything yeah
0: all right well whatever i can do to help i'm happy to do so and i hope that all of these travel restrictions and quarantines and stay home stay safe i hope that's all done by the time this event is scheduled to take place and that it's actually able to proceed as planned I want to wind the clock back to the late 90s or the early 2000s. So we know what you're doing now. What were you doing before SLOC and how did how did you arrive there? What was your journey? What was the journey of Dan Merkley to the Salt Lake Organizing Committee?
1: Yeah, uh, Christian, if if you could kick me under the table, if I take too much time, then you should do that because I love talking about it. Um my, my role in SLOC briefly was, um, man, I managed the village allotment for the athlete village, um, which is the allocation and, and fulfillment of accommodation and operational spaces, entitlements to operating supplies and equipment, technology, recart, uh, for the national Olympic committees who are competing in the games. And that was my role. But what I was doing before I landed that, um, well, I was always doing events um, as far back as high school, I was working with a group of elected student body officers and doing assemblies and activities around school and organizing people and executing those plans. And then at the university, I was uh, co-chairing in the student programs office, organizing campus concerts and festivals. We did Mayfest for a couple of years. We did some shows in the union ballroom. And uh, I was always interested in that. Um... I uh, eventually, as I started closing in on my undergraduate degree, a friend of mine, one of my best friends went back East to Atlanta to work for a family friend on, on the uh, Atlanta games project with a, one of the domestic sponsors. And uh, a month after he got there, he wrote to me and said, Hey, why don't you take a quarter or two off and come over here? I I dropped everything. Absolutely. Uh, I, I skipped spring quarter and went to Atlanta and I worked for six months over there. I was working with the official supplier for meetings and incentives, and we were handed an inventory of around 120 different motor ins and mom and pop joints and, and motels to fill with uh, just regular general public ticket holders. And so the company would sell flight ticket and accommodation packages with a little bit of hospitality. And, and my job was reconciling um, the information at each of the front desks of these places with our booking system. And it's a whole other story, but it's a different games. Um, after, after that, uh, great experience in Atlanta, I knew that, that it would be an opportunity for me to get connected with Salt Lake organizing committee who had already won the bid, um, in between Atlanta and 2002, when I was hired, I had a brief stint with a side project of the education committee for SLOC called the sport education and values foundation. And that was um, developing a curriculum for Utah public school teachers to use as a kind of supplemental to regular school curriculum, Curriculum, but it was Olympic-based. So if there were a history lesson to be taught, it would be about maybe um, de Coubertin, or if there was a physics lesson, it would be about a pole vaulter or something like that. And. And uh, it was organized for grades K through 12. And my job with that foundation was um, director of Olympic Youth Ambassadors. So we organized uh, secondary school youth to become emissaries of the Games and importantly, Olympism. And we organized some field trips and they got to test some venues. And, and it was really a lot of fun. It was founded by Steve Young in partnership with SLOC and the USOC. And unfortunately, it folded just a, uh, in the summer of 90... Nine, ninety-eight, maybe. Yeah. Um, within a year or two, I ended up getting hired for SLOC, which was a fun story. I, I, um, I was living in Logan, and so I, I was uh, not finding meaningful employment there, and so um, I started applying for SLOC and I was interviewed uh, by HR for for a role for a role with uh, uh, NOC services. It was It was in, in, the, in the role of relations staff. And for whatever reason, whether it was Ina's team who decided I wasn't a fit, or maybe it was uh, the HR team who thought I wasn't a fit, but I called and I said, how are things going? They said, oh, something just came through and I wanna walk your CV over there. And it ended up being the village, it was this allotment job. And so she, she walked my CV over to uh, Richard Tyler and Kurt Andrews, my hiring manager and uh, scheduled an interview with them um, right there. And so I went down and had that interview and it worked. I mean, I was thrilled. It was, it, that job was such a perfect fit for me. Unwittingly, I was embarking on my career, but it was it was just a perfect fit. I enjoyed immensely the puzzle of the allotment, the fact that it was so well positioned between so many service functions that served the village. It was operationally central and, uh, and I got to be um, a, really a primary point of contact for the village with the NOCs themselves, with the client. And and that was one of the most satisfying things about that job. And sometimes I think uh, if it wasn't for me calling that day, I wonder if that person from HR would have been inspired to walk my CV over or how differently it could have been if I ended up working in NOC services. Uh, but it, things happened exactly the way they were supposed to. And, and I couldn't be happier about the way that turned
0: out. Wow. That's so interesting how life can pivot on a small thing, right? Just making a phone call uh, absolutely pivots your life. I'll tell you, I had a, I had a blast in the Salt Lake 2002 games and And it was a huge amount of fun. And I have a lot of fond memories there. As you look back uh, on your time there, now going back 20 years, what were some of the really interesting experiences that you had there that you'd be willing to share?
1: Well, day to day, uh, one of the funny quirks was that I was commuting from Logan. I mean, even after I got the job, I was living in Logan because my, uh, my wife was... Uh, in school, and, and it's 90 miles each way. So I spent a lot of time in the car, which is, which had its own <laughs> challenges and funny stories. But um, I really loved working downtown at first and then up at Fort Douglas. And just my favorite thing about working with uh, such a big group, all eyes on the same project, collaborating, is just that I loved the collaboration. I loved coming into work and being physically present um with a team every day and it's something i long for as a traveling consultant that i don't get it, it often enough and especially now working remotely because of covid i i really feel the, the the lack of that physical being present with people and working on the same thing i guess i don't handle solitude very well i i think i think i i tried to be generous if not Imposing, I guess, with playful and comedic banter with colleagues. I mean, there's something that kind of inspired a creative mind, whether it was creative problem solving or just creativity being with a bunch of people. And I really love that. Sometimes I think maybe I cheated the line of decorum with senior management. In that regard, but um, seemed to work out well for me all the time. I, <laughs> I understood the appetites for that most of the time, and I tried to make the best of everyone's time together. If we're going to be working a third of our daily lives and more uh, together, I was I was grooming myself to be the quintessential Michael Scott, um, but maybe lighter on the psychosis. <laughs> if you're familiar with the Office,
0: <laughs> yes. You mentioned some uh, people that you worked with there, Richard Tyler, for example. Yeah. Um, maybe you can just give us a few stories of some of the interesting people that you worked with along the way.
1: They were all fantastic. Um, everything about them, I, and individually, I just, I just love my SLOC team. And um, I met on that job two of my best friends and collaborators throughout my career in Andrea McQuarrie, who was with NLC Services, and Toshio or Tosh Sudo and we followed. Uh, trajectory in parallel um, through the Rio games and Tosh would end up with the IOC and Andrea and I stayed mostly in the OCOC trenches um, with me in the village and she with NOC services. The three of us had a, um, a really good reliable person on each side of of those issues and I felt that um, because of our time in SLOC and, and how well we got along we developed a tacit um, collaboration that really kind of it, it tempered conflicts of mission uh, between the IOC and the NOCs and OCOG delivery. And I think we made a great work of that together. And I'm proud that it started in Salt Lake. Um, Andrea and I have collaborated more recently in Sarajevo, um, but I wish it were continuing with, continuing with the three of us all the time. I, I really like that the games made it possible for colleagues to intersect over and over again on the same project and, and in completely new contexts. And I feel that way about everyone that I worked with on the project, not just Andrea and Tosh. Christian, you were asking about I think you used the word interesting. Um, in terms of interesting and if I if I'm reading the subtext of Uh, fitting the bill for entertainment purposes. Um, My immediate boss, Kurt Andrews, and my colleague, Mike Figueroa, were perhaps the fit the bill for entertainment purposes. So Kurt is comes, they both come from hotels and uh, Kurt as a a GM and, and Mike as a GM, but most often um, uh, front desk or um, front office manager, um, rooms manager or housekeeping manager. And, they had this—I um, don't know if they knew it. I, I'm sure anyone else that knows them that ever listens to this would, would think so. But they had this kind of Ralph Cranston, Ed Norton honeymooners type of dynamic to them. And Kurt was a big guy, and and Mike was a shorter guy, and and uh, the the banter and the the constant ribbing and the brutal teasing that that uh, Mike. Ie Ed Norton would get from Kurt Ralph Cranston, and uh, Kurt was Kurt had this great Wisconsin accent, and he'd uh, sometimes he he inquire about something or be asking asking about something, and he'd have this really casual way of 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 adding mm, shit on the end of things. Sometimes it would like it, it would like get away from him. Like he was back in his college or fraternity days, and say so saying that it's like this and shit you know whatever it was (laughs) it would just it just make me laugh every time uh I'd catch him with Mike standing at my desk when I was on the other side of the room and I'd look over there over the cubicles and those two would just have their hands in my Doritos bag just chomping away at my food laughing at it you know laughing with each other as if they were just having a meeting in front of my desk eating my food and I admit I, I liked it I, I just I just liked the the camaraderie with those guys. And, and Kurt was so ruthless and teasing Mike. And he quoted uh, cult classics from like Animal House and Caddyshack. And he would he would use them in conversation uh, to prove points like Dan. Yeah. And in the famous words of Donald Boone Schoenstein, out with it. You know, he'd just quote people, characters and movies, and I I, I thought that was great. Mike was, Mike Figueroa, he was charmingly self-deprecating, and he was cheerful, and had this infectious laugh, and uh, that was just almost cartoonish. He was almost like a cartoon. He'd have this way of stumbling into the most cringeworthy comments that ended up being so hilarious, because you knew that he would arrive there completely innocently. Um, eventually I hired Mike to work with me in Vancouver and, uh, and all, and everybody there on the Vancouver team, they couldn't imagine doing those games without Mike. He's, he is so central to a lot of the Vancouver team's favorite recollections. So that's another connection that I'm proud to have had in Salt Lake and, uh, they made Work really fun. I had the best time.
0: Well, working on games is super fun, but as you know, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. It's not easy. When it came to the work that you were doing, what were some of the big challenges that you faced, and how did you solve them?
1: Um, well, the big challenge with the village allotment was the demand model um, that was essentially prescribed as a technical uh, as a technical requirement from the IOC, um, and then when you put that against the village inventory. Our inventory just wasn't enough by around 550 beds. And so uh, the there was another issue. The, the Soldier Hollow uh, venue was just over an hour away, and that was non-compliant with the technical manual because you had to be accommodated within an hour drive from the training and competition venue. So SLOC uh, developed a um, inventory of local Midway and Heber, uh, accommodations. And then we offered a stipend for NOCs to take up, uh, the opportunity to live close to the venue. And they almost, I think without exception, they all bit on that hook. They took the stipend and they found accommodation for their biathlon and cross country teams up there. And that, uh, statistically or by the numbers freed up about 550 beds in the village and so we were now solvent again but we actually had to wrestle away from the nocs that inventory in the form of their entitlement and so we used the Shaw stipend and the knowledge of the inner workings of how nocs operate to kind of beat back the demand for beds in the village and beat back from their entitlement to beds to something that they could actually work with and that was, um, a big challenge and it was an elegant, uh, execution of, of that negotiation over the summer of 2001. And, um, uh, I, I just couldn't be happier about how it turned out. We, we had just enough. I think, I think at the end of the, uh, arrivals allocation meetings, um, we still had, wow, oh, like a, a hundred and. 110, 120 beds left over that we just gave away um, to good partners or made certain um, NOCs that were um, really generous back with us, you know, um, in in giving back beds and we helped make some people more comfortable who needed to and uh, it was great.
0: You know, it sounds to me like uh, your experience in Salt Lake was was like an inflection point uh, for for your career. So, you know, how how did those games, the Salt Lake 2002 games, impact your career and your life?
1: Like I mentioned before, I think unwittingly Salt Lake was me embarking on my career, even with a couple of experiences or at least Atlanta before I. I stayed in the Olympic and major event industry. Um, it took a couple of years, but I I, I was called um, to join the team in Torino, the Village team in Torino. I was there for a couple of years in in Italy and uh, working in a in a much more problematic circumstances than we had in Salt Lake, which was a growth experience for me. Um, straight from Torino, I I uh, was hired as Village Operations Manager in Vancouver. And that was fantastic because I, I got to stay in one place for about five and a half years. I went. I, I even was able to do some work with the IOC as a subject matter expert for village and village allotment. And so I, I did some work in Beijing. I traveled back and forth a few times and, uh, and during the games spent a month in Beijing on loan to the IOC from Vancouver. Um, in between Vancouver and Sochi, I, I worked with a, with a consultancy firm called EKS and, and did some stints looking at bid documents and, and as a subject matter expert for village and doing some evaluations. So um, I was hired as the director of villages director of function in Sochi, and we had three villages for those games, um, each very unique from one another. A great team of the finest young professionals I've ever been with in in Russia. Um, That was a career highlight for me. And finally, in Rio, I was general manager of the Summer Games Village in Rio. Um, Growth experience, uh, very educational. Um, Delivering the village under the most extreme circumstances. Um, It's worth another podcast, that one. Just being able to uh, stay connected with uh, the movement and major sports industry as a as a consultant in Beijing for the IOC, in Lima, in Sarajevo recently. Uh, they had the European Youth Olympic Festival. Um, and I, uh, I'm i currently still on contract with uh, Doha for the FIFA World Cup in 2022. Um, looking for things in Salt Lake, some smaller but not insignificant projects in Salt Lake, in, in case anyone listening has heard of them or was involved somehow, was the recently the Golden Spike 150 celebration up at the Golden Spike National Monument, uh, Project Homeless Connect, which is a nonprofit um, day of service uh, and service offerings for the homeless. Uh, the Labeled Film Festival, I was co-producing the inaugural, inaugural um, Mental Health Film Festival called, called Lab- um, Labeled. And uh, even a Native American Church of North America um, convention which was very interesting. All of these things, I, uh, I guess, very unique in their own right. And if it's not the only one of its kind or the first ever or the biggest, it just doesn't interest me. I even made a couple of movies that of local interest.
0: Well, clearly you've kept uh, quite busy in your time since Locke, both within the orbit of the games and also outside of that orbit. Before we conclude, I've got a few assignments for you. But before I get to those assignments, any other interesting, entertaining, or educational experiences that you had at SLOC that you want to share?
1: There are a couple of couple of stories that I love to tell. One is uh, well, you you maybe choose one. Um, being a torchbearer. Another one is being village mayor of the day, uh, and. I guess the experience of, uh, going to opening ceremonies.
0: You can tell them all. It doesn't matter. We don't have a time constraint.
1: Um, I'm going to tell, yeah, I want to share the story of the torch relay. So I, I, I won the lottery. I think, <laughs> um, they, uh, SWOC issued a, and I'll call, I'll call for nominations of staff to be a torch bearer. And, Bless her heart. Um, Karen Caldwell nominated me and said some wonderful things that I'm not sure I'm totally deserving of. But I was selected to be a torchbearer, and and um, I, I I just couldn't even imagine a, a more uh, heartfelt honor than than to do that. And. And so my assignment to my my segment of the run was in Carson City, Nevada. And so, with a caravan of cars from my family, we drove out there. And it was in J- uh, January, mid early January. Uh, so things were really hopping at home in Salt Lake, and here I am, you know, road tripping it out to Carson City. And uh, we, I, I get to the uh, muster point, you know, for like the the briefing and the in the orientation before before we head out to our segments to run. And, and there's a guy that gets out of the car um, right next to me. He gets out of the car and he's dropped off and he runs up the stairs um, in front of me and he's wearing the, the torch outfit like I am. But he's got this really tall, red, white, and blue striped mohawk. Uh, it's really tall. It's like a, it's like 12 inches high. And he's wearing these red, white, and blue wingtip shoes. They almost look like bowling shoes. And I get in there and and I'm filling out the the forms, and he's nearby. and I'm as I'm filling out the forms, I, I I start overhearing this conversation between him and the torch relay coordinator for this group. and she's basically telling him he can't he can't carry the torch like that, like that, meaning with his big Mohawk. And he said, oh, well, then then I won't do it." You know, she says, well, you can just cover it up with a hat. You know, you don't have to cut it off. You can just cover it with a hat. She says, no, I, I won't do it. I mean, this is, this is who I am. And I'm listening, I'm listening to him and I see that there's something familiar. And, and I, I look at his paper that he was filling out. And before I even saw his name, I knew who that was. That was Glenn Plake. Now, if any of you 80s kids know who, and used to watch ski movies, know who Glenn Plake is. He was the most badass off-piste, off-piste freestyle skier of the 80s. I mean, he, starred, he was starring in all those ski movies that you loved when you were a teenager coming up through high school. This guy was crazy, and he was, a re- he's, he's, he was local to, um, to Tahoe. And so he is a local ski industry hero there, and you can't. And I knew, I knew, no, you cannot tell him to go home this guy gets to play and he gets to play with his mohawk. And so he starts making a phone call to get a ride back. Cause he's not going to do it. I go up to, I go up to the coordinator. I said, um, do you are, do you know who he is? Has he talked about that? She says, I don't know who he is. He hasn't told me, but it doesn't matter. I go, oh, wait, hear me out on this. And so I explained who he was. And I said to her, if he doesn't carry the torch, it is going to be an outrage not just local tahoe but but ski industry anyway he is an influencer and it will get around and and it will be it will be bad you should make an exception call whoever you need to and make an exception so she gets on the phone and she's she makes these calls and it turns out that they're gonna they gave him the green light they said okay we'll do it and so she goes up to him and says all right we'll let you we'll let you race this oh thank you so much she says thank him and so he looks at me and this is this is like my freestyle skiing hero you know and he and he and he comes up to me and he's glad handed me he says thanks man and i i said oh my gosh this is fantastic so nice to meet you he says is there anything i can do for you and i said i don't know what you could do for me right now if i had a copy of maltese flamingo i'd have you sign that which is a which is one of the ski movies that he was starring in and he laughed and laughed he says oh i you saw that come on man so we we just talked the whole time waiting to get on the bus and we sat next to each other on the bus just talking about stuff he was it turns out that he was he was coaching uh johnny mosley who was the defending gold medalist from nagano in mogulski and he was talking about how johnny is going to do this new trick that's never been done in international competition or at least not in not in a, a fist sanctioned competition and it was called the dinner roll. And, uh, and I'm nodding my head about it. And he says, he says, yeah, Johnny's going to do it. Even though it might cost him some points, he has to progress the sport. And so it just so happened. I had tickets to that event. So I was so excited to see that. And I watched Johnny Mosley turn that dinner roll right in front of me, um, at that event. And the story extra the extrapolating that is funny is that ever since Johnny Mosley did that trick now, I mean, mogul skiers can just invert do inverted tricks all they want. And it's just, it just works for their favor. But Johnny got fourth place. He didn't even medal because he was docked for his dinner roll. But I thought it was so cool that, um, he took it on the nose for his sport so that it would progress. And, uh, and so Glenn Plake got out of the, got out of the shuttle and ran his torch. And then I ended up running mine and I handed off the flame to another very prominent skier. Her name was Jill Kinmont. And for any of you that, that know ski history, she was injured as a young competitive skier, I think on Alta Hills way back before Snowbird even existed. And she became uh, paraplegic. She became paralyzed because of that accident. They even made like an after-school movie called Other Side of the Mountain or something like that. Anyway, she was who I, I handed the uh, torch flame to. And so it was just all in all, it was just an amazing day. And I carried around my torch, um, extinguished, of course, but walked into all the casinos and buffets and everyone got pictures. And it's just, man, it's like being a rock star for, for um, half a day in, in Carson City with all of my famous friends. I just loved it.
0: what a fantastic experience. I'm so glad that you shared that. You know, all this talk about dinner rolls is making me a little bit hungry <laughs> and uh, that takes me to one of my last things, you know, I, I've got, three different assignments here to wrap up. And one of those assignments has to do with food. Okay. So one of the questions I'm asking all of the former slot staff is to nominate or not nominate, but to name what was the mm. what was your go-to restaurant when you worked at SLOC? It could be a lunch place, but maybe you went there for dinner too. I oh mean my but where did you want to go to eat?
1: Yes. Oh, Christian, seriously, if this place does pick up, I just might do this today. Uh, My favorite place when I worked downtown was Gandolfo's. The sandwich, if you're listening, is the Mame Leone. Get the Mama Leone. It's uh, Italian ham with this chunky marinara sauce and with peppers. And it's just amazing. And honestly, I think the secret is that they actually put butter on it. They put butter on it before they put the ham on it. It's a hot sandwich. And I would get that with the broccoli and cheese salad and a piece of chocolate cake. Amazing. Um, and and if it was at Fort Douglas, um, my favorite place to get lunch at Fort Douglas was the Point Restaurant at the Huntsman Cancer Center. And I loved just going there with a group of us from the village and having lunch there. Great view. Food was great. Yeah, those are the two.
0: All right, Gandalfos. That was uh, the one that was just about right across the street, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was just up Main, uh, about hundred fifty meters.
0: Yeah, oh uh, yeah, that was one of my favorites too. You mentioned that you were driving, you were commuting from Logan. That's a long drive. I don't yeah. know if you were listening to music on your commute or not, but yeah, I got my next question for you, which is all right. What was the go-to song that you listened to on that commute? And when you hear that song, whenever you hear it, you're like, oh, it brings me back to Salt Lake 2002.
1: Yeah. Music has a way of doing that too. I wish, you know, I wish I had the playlist I had from Napster. You remember Napster?
0: Oh, yeah. So Napster yep. was
1: a thing. Napster was a thing when we were working in, in slack and, and it would be really fun to see that playlist because it was kind of a rogues gallery of, of singles because you could just, you know, a la carte pick and choose singles now. You didn't have to buy a CD all at once. And I used to trade, I used to deal in nostalgic and obscure songs like kids with baseball cards with a colleague named Heather Mustakis, another village colleague. It would yeah. but um but driving home, yeah. Um I had a CD player, I had this, I had a classic BMW, it was a 1981 528i, and it was a just this beautiful little bohemian car. And I would in the summertime. I remember in the summertime, I'd I'd, I'd undo the sunroof and I would blast from the CD, um, the Smiths singles CD. And I just remember um, my favorite thing was to time it just right. That once I got up to speed after the um, after the Farmington traffic jam, you know, when I get past that turn in I-15 where it splits off to 89. The, the traffic would clear, and I could now uh, hit the pedal down, and I would time it so that the song by the Smiths, What Difference Does It Make, would start playing. And with the sunroof down, it was great. But there's one other song that I would mention as well that was meaningful. I remember um, being sent home um, on September 11th. Um, they said, Go home, be with your families. And I had a 90 mile drive on the way home, and I was wearing Thin, the CD, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb by U2 um, at the time. And oddly, I just, I just kept playing Beautiful Day on a loop for comfort all the way home. And I don't know why a song Beautiful Day would be that song, but um, I just played it on loop all the way home, 90 minutes of Beautiful Day, and I was weepy the whole way. I think I cried the whole way.
0: Wow, those are amazing songs. I remember that September eleventh as well, getting sent home, and it was a it was a really really tough day. Um, we're going to take those songs and we're going to put them on this Salt Lake two thousand two retrospective playlist, which I've set up on Spotify. So once this uh, podcast is published, songs are going to be up there. Nice to wrap it up. What was your favorite Olympic memory?
1: Um, yeah, the the torch was great, but one of the things, God, oh, this. There, are, there are a lot. Uh, there's so much more to tell. Thanks for doing this. Um, a good story to tell is um, because it involved. It was. It just. It just um, described the whole vibe about Slack and what a wonderful place it was to work. Where it was to work and and great and inspiring leadership and people that didn't take themselves too seriously but took doing a excellent work seriously. And 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 that would be when I. Got to be the, the Salt Lake Olympic Village Mayor of the Day. Now, I'm I'm a I, I'm kind of fresh. I've only been in SLOC for maybe a month, maybe two. And I see this all SLOC email that says that there's an Olympic Village Mayor program. It's kind of an honorary title for prominent members of the local community. And Um, our executives had a new angle on this. Usually they just had one village mayor for the entire period. This time they said, we're going to do mayors of the day. There's going to be like 24, 26 village mayors of the day. So there'll be a village mayor and then a mayor of the day. And that way they could say thanks to community members a couple dozen times over. And I'm reading about what the village mayor is. And I'm looking at that going, Oh, this is good. This is good. Yeah. Village mayor. Yeah. I like this. So I got to work and I wrote an email, about a paragraph or two long, that declared my candidacy for Olympic Village Mayor. And I sent it to Mitt, Fraser, Ed Einen, and I copied my village team. I get this email a few minutes later from Richard Tyler, my boss. He says, (laughs) he says, Dan. While I I appreciate your humor and banter, please refrain from copying or including in copy senior executives um, for, for your entertainment. And I thought, OK, I got it. All right, fine. That was it. I didn't hear anything. I'm in a meeting like, oh, I don't know, a month or two later, and it's a big village extended team meeting. And Ina Grenis, who was the director of NOC services, she's speaking to the group and she's giving an update on village mayor. And there's like 50 of us in this room, 40 maybe. And she says, so yeah, they, they're, they've they're they got um, the main mayor chosen and we're, we've are we got a list of, got a nice healthy list of village mayors of the day. And she, she looks at me. She's like 12 feet away from me. She looks at me. She points right at me. And she says, oh, and by the way, Dan, you're on it. I said I said what whoa you know I just blown away and everyone looks at me and just just laughs ourselves hysterical like no way you've got to be kidding that joke became a thing so now I'm on the list of mayor of the day and anyway I thanked everybody for supporting my candidacy and whatever and I I kind of followed up the email I didn't copy Ed Mitt, and Frazier on that one but Um, And then I just kind of left it alone. It was fun. That joke kind of played itself out. So um, during the games, it's like, Oh, I guess it was around February 27th, 26th, 27th, 28th. It was, it was the last, I remember it was the last day of village operations, the last day. And most of the athletes have gone home, but there were still a few teams still there. I get this call from, uh, I'm I'm still, I'm, uh about to wake up. It was just before my alarm would go off, sleeping in the village. And it's the workforce check-in and they're calling, they say, hey Dan, um wonder if you could come down to uh, workforce check-in and the um client services office um first thing. Um I go, okay, yeah. So I I go over there and they send me to the client services room and there's there's my colleague and and she says um so, Dan, what would you plan on doing today? And I just tell him, you know, rigmarole of what I'm doing to kind of close up and prepare for Paralympics that were coming. And, and she says, well, you're going to have to take a break from that for a few hours. Like, go, why is that? He says, well, come over here. And she holds out for me this wonderful black and gold parka for um, that the village mayors would wear. And she says, you are today's village mayor. It's just like, no. Get out. It was so great. So she puts the jacket on me and she fills my pockets full of pins. And I said, Well, and, and I get this accreditation that titles me village mayor. I had, you know, all the things. And she's and I, you know, picture whatever. And she and I said, Well, what do I have to do? She says, You just have to, you're 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 here for morale. All you do is go around, hand out pins, pat people on the back, said they're doing a great job. Like that I can do that i can do yes so i had the best time walking around the village getting photos of people wondering who are you and like why are you doing this and for the people that did know me were like dan what's going on and i'm telling them and everything that's incredible you know so met a bunch of athletes and would tell them what's going on you know briefly and they would get selfies with me and everything and and at the end of the day and at the end of the day to cut to cap it all off there was a wedding there was a marriage that happened in the village it was in this little bandstand gazebo in the middle of the international plaza and the pastor from post from the post chapel okay because we had we had a we had a chaplain in the village uh, at the post chapel and he officiated the the wedding or the marriage and it was a marriage between a bobsled coach from Brazil for the Brazil team and a Brazilian um, two woman athlete. And, and I was asked as to be a witness because I was the village mayor. I had to be in an official capacity as a witness to the union. And so I'm standing there up at the front in between the, you know, just kind of close to the, the, the couple and, and near the pastor, just, present you know it was great it was fantastic um i what an what an incredible way to finish a a fantastic day that happened at sunset and that was my olympic village mayor of the day story and it was one of the sweetest memories that uh that to me just personified just what a great place and great company overall it was to work with slock to uh Yeah, not take things so seriously and just have a good time and make people feel appreciated and great. I loved it.
0: Well, that's a very fantastic way for us to end our conversation today. Dan, thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories. For our listeners who want to connect with you in some way, how might they best do that?
1: Well, I am on Facebook and uh and I also am part of the SLOC group. Um, and my F- Facebook name is Dan Merkley. Um, I think I have a privacy setting that means that you you aren't able to request me as a friend unless you um, notice that I have friends in common. Um, but that would be most of us. So I think pretty much anyone listening to this, we would have some friends in common. So I wouldn't worry about whether I c- can connect to me. And, and I would gladly uh, connect with you as a Facebook friend. Um, I am on Instagram, though I'm not so active there. I don't have a lot. Um, I don't have a lot to, I'm not on there often. And, and if my activity there grows, it'll be because of the, the Valkyrie Multisport Relay and the project in the Endurance Sports Summit, the project I'm working on right now.
0: And you mentioned the, the relay, which will be happening locally. How do people find out more information about that?
1: Oh. Yeah. Thanks for letting me say so. Um, you can, you can see this on Facebook pages as well, but the, um, the uh, relay is, um, is, uh, is a, is a sub event of the endurance sports summit, endurance sports with an S summit.com. Uh, and if if you if you actually Google search Valkyrie Multi-sport relay, you'll you'll also be led straight there. You can find that there. there's we're still accepting uh, registrations for the event in late August. Uh, form a team, uh, pick a sport, form a team, get specialized, um, get out there and and uh, help us um, try something for the very first time in Utah this this type of race and we think it's going to be um we think that this is this has the potential to be a Utah classic so help us out
0: all right very much looking forward to it dan thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule to relate your experiences with salt lake 2002 and we hope to hear from you soon thanks christian i had a great time thanks for letting me recall all this